Hello and welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Our entire mission is to help you live on purpose, with purpose, and connect to the exact work that God has prepared for you and called for you to do. And I want to let everybody know out there that my book, you might have heard about it, it's coming out April 27th. It's called On Purpose, With Purpose, Discovering Your Best Life Now. And I would love for you to be a part of our launch team. We want to create a movement because here's here's what I believe. You know, we all hear about the why, the what, and the how. But what is absolutely foundational, what has to precede being able to connect to that, including our purpose and everything else, our calling is who we are. Not who we see in the mirror, but who God made us to be. And this book is about that entire journey. We're getting incredible feedback. So here's what happens. I'll just make this quick. Join the launch team. You just go to beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. You're going to get a free copy, a digital copy of the book. It's normally $16.99 when it's going to be on Amazon. Uh, you're going to get access to some uh, some of my courses. We got some great surprises. Also, the only thing I'd like you to do as part of the launch team is just order a copy of the book, lead us a review, and share some of the stuff that we're going to be putting on social media. So we just want to make an impact out there. So please join the On Purpose With Purpose launch team. And as a part of that circle of champions, we got some other great stuff uh, in store for you. So with that, we are uh, we have a great episode for you coming up next. All right, everybody. Great to be with you again today. And uh, some exciting news with uh, the first book coming out on purpose with purpose, discovering how to live your best life. Uh, something really awesome that's happening that um, I didn't foresee is so many people are writing into me and they're sitting down with this book and they're going through the book with their family. They're going through it with their team. There's coaches that are taking this book and they've gotten new clients uh, just taking this book and, and saying, hey, let's go through this process together. And I think that is so awesome because honestly, when I sat down, to write this book when God put everything on my heart that's in here. Uh, that was my biggest desire is to take everything that this journey that God's had me on and what he's taught me share with the world so that they could also uh, get some of the outcomes in their life that God's helped me get. So that is so cool. And, you know, with that, my good friend, Brad Hurdle is here today who has, oh my goodness, been through a journey and come out on the other side. And oh my goodness, every time I'm with Brad, man, I'm just better. Brad not only gives me hope, but inspires me. We got to do some work together. So Brad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. I am glad to be here, man. Excited. Well, I'm glad to have you here too. Let's see. uh, You've been married now to uh, Ginger for well over 20, 22 years, two boys, uh, 20 and 18. So you got that whole phase. I think you're moving into one of the most important phases of parenthood ever. And that's as our kids transition to adulthood and out of college. And so, you know, Brad's been a pharmacist, has his own pharmacies, you know, small business owner in North Carolina there. But your passion because of your life experiences that we're going to talk about, you guys are about to hear just an amazing testimony. You might be looking at the title of this going, you know, it says, what is your orange soda? So what is an orange soda? Why did we title a podcast episode? (laughs) What 
is your orange soda. Well, you're going to find out as we go through this because I'm going to give you a hint. There is an orange soda that's part of this journey. So with that, Brad, maybe you could bring us back and just kind of walk us through, uh, because you, you know what, I, just to frame everything up, everybody, this Brad's testimony, the story is really about um, leaning into and facing adversity and moving through it. And I think there's there's so much that we're all going through right now. And uh, so with that, Brad, I'd love for you to just, you know, rewind the clock a little bit and just share a little bit about who you are and, and your life. Well, thanks, John. Man, I pre- again, I appreciate this opportunity to be with you. You're a, uh, you're a mentor to me, man. I just totally respect everything you do. I'm really excited about the things you're doing, including your book. I mean, I'm excited about that myself. So, um, yeah, go back in time a little bit. I went to college at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. It was my dream college growing up in a small town in North Carolina. Um, towards the end of my freshman year at Carolina, I, uh, I met a girl. And um, she was amazing. And we started dating. And we dated for the rest of my time there in college. I ultimately went to pharmacy school, and uh, which took a little more time. And uh, graduated. She graduated with a degree in education, got her master's degree. And um, I popped the big question um, after getting a job. Popped the big how, question. how old were you then? I was. Let me go back, man. This has been a while ago. Um, by that time I graduated, I was 22 because I was 17 when I first went to college. I was a little young for my grade. So I was 22. So I was, you know what? I was 22 when I asked Donna to marry me. Really? We met in college. I was a senior. She was a junior. Um, that summer I graduated college and I was heading down to Navy flight school. And, uh, and I, man, I didn't want to lose her and in college and she didn't want me down in flight school without a, you know, ring on it. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah. So we were both young when we were like, okay, well, like we found our soulmate, right? Right. Absolutely. And that's how we felt, you know, we had, we had been dating for a long time and, um, had felt like we'd done it right. You know, we kind of waited till we got our education um, we got married um, l- like a year later after that, I think. And we've been married for six months, moved to a new town. I'd started a new job. She had gotten a new job teaching. Um, and one night we were on the way home. It was Kim. Her name was Kim. And I was driving. She was in the passenger seat. My younger brother was in the back seat. He was 12 at the time. And we it was late at night and we were approaching an intersection and I had the blinking yellow light, the blinking caution light. I slowed down. I looked. They were, the roads were pretty desolate. Nobody was on the road because it was almost midnight, a little before midnight. And suddenly in the middle of the intersection, our car was just crushed by another car. Car hit us going about approximately 70 miles an hour uh, with no headlights on. It was driven by a man who was drunk. He blew a 0.18 on the breathalyzer test, which, you know, oh, is over word. twice the legal limit of alcohol in most states. Uh, had marijuana. He'd been smoking in the ashtray. And later they found cocaine in his blood. So I remember that feeling. I remember that sound. All these years later, John, I still remember that sound. It was literally like a tornado, you know, hit our car. And that night I sat there and watched Kim die beside me in that car. So there I was, a young guy just graduated from college and um, 
she was a part of everything. My every every part of my future. She was she was a part of it. You know, we had talked about having oh, kids. I, did. I, I can't imagine. I, I know where Don and I were at that point, right? I mean, you guys are just right. head over talking about the future, smiling and laughing. You you can't imagine, I, not not just a day, but sometimes hey, you know, hours. Right. Like, oh, I, I get to see her two hours. Right. It's been two hours. Right. 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 Like you're in so that new. whole phase and all of a sudden everything's changed. Yeah. Everything's on because you're in that phase where you've built, you feel like you've built up to this point in your life. You know, you've done the education thing, you've done it right. And then everything, everything is looking forward. Everything is in the future. Um, and suddenly, in a, you know, in a moment, that was all gone. So obviously my car was demolished that night. It was totaled. So for the next year, as I walked through that grief, I drove her car, which was a candy apple red five-speed Nissan Sentra sport coupe. She often joked that it was the only uh, sports car that public school teachers could afford. And so for the next, I, so I, had, to, I had to learn how to drive a five-speed, you know, which I'd never done before. So that was interesting. But every day as I would shift gears in that car, my hand would graze or bump into an orange soda that was in the console. It was one of the last things that she had touched before she died. Oh, wow. And for whatever reason, as time went on, as I walked through that grief, that orange soda was something that came to represent my grief. It was like a barrier. You know, I mean, I I couldn't touch it. I couldn't throw away. I would often even protect it, John. I mean, when people would ride with me in the car, I would make sure they did not touch the orange soda. It was like it became this huge thing for me, this huge obstacle. And as I went along with the grief, I knew that. Yeah, it became an obstacle because I felt like it stood between me and me moving on with my life. You know, it was one of those things that was initially was super special to me. You know, it was like it was one of the last things she had touched. But as I began to to heal and, and, and realize that I could survive this it became this kind of barrier because I knew, I knew in my heart that I needed to throw that orange soda away. And the amazing thing is, John, that during that time, I made a lot of other really courageous decisions. You know, at some point I'd even, I moved out of my apartment, you know, I packed things up, which was a really big deal. But for whatever reason, I could not throw that orange soda away. So a year, a year out on the year anniversary, I had decided I'm going to throw the orange soda away. Well, the year anniversary came and I could not do it. So about 13 months. So I'm guessing, you know, that at the end of that year anniversary, you're probably sitting in the car, realizing, you know, this is an obstacle, but you're looking down at that soda can sitting there in the console. You know, what were you feeling at that in that moment? So much had happened that past year, you know, everything from being devastated for the first few months, not even being able to, I did, I couldn't cry for the first probably three or four months. I was in shock. I mean, I wanted to cry. I knew, I, I know I needed to cry, but I couldn't cry, you know? And then as that began to wear off and then we had, we went through a, a really eight months out, we went through a really long trial where that guy was indicted on second degree murder. And it was a really big deal in our town. So eight months out, we went through that whole like two week trial I hope he was found guilty and he's still in prison. Well, that's another story. Um, He was indicted initially on second degree murder, which, you know, in a drinking and driving case, is a pretty big deal because with second degree murder, you have to prove malice. 
And it's hard to do that in that. But he had made a lot of really nasty comments at the scene that people testified to when he was when he was at, told in the hospital that he had killed a, a young girl. His reaction was eh, she had to die sometime. And that was his reaction. So a lot of people testified to that. Well, we went into trial. He was indicted and he was convicted of secondary murder. But when they came out, as, as you've probably seen in a courtroom, the defense attorney will poll the jury and go down. And, Is this your verdict? Well, one guy changed his mind and said no. So they went back into deliberations and eventually he was indicted on involuntary manslaughter. And he spent approximately five years, I think, in jail and then got out. So, yeah, not not a long time considering considering what happened. Right. That doesn't seem like but, a fair punishment, but yeah. no, it wasn't. And that was part of the anger that we had to deal with, too. But that a lot had happened that year. So there I was sitting in the car and, um, you know, I'd come to know Jesus through this. You know, before that, God had been like a I mean, I I'd grown up going to church, but God was like a he was up there out there to me. You know, but once this happened, God strategically put a lot of really cool people in my life. And I'd come to know him through that. So through all that grief and anger, I'd come to know God, which was major. But there I was sitting in that car, knowing that I needed to throw this orange soda away in order to move on with my life. And at that year anniversary, I just couldn't do it. So I got out of the car and I walked back in. And then about a month later, I woke up on a Saturday morning and I decided this was the time. So I walked down, I walked to the car, I grabbed the orange soda, I walked to the, the middle of my apartment complex where the dumpsters were, and I stood there, probably looked like a fool standing there. I took a deep breath, and I threw the orange soda in the dumpster. And I turned, and I walked right, back Right in that house. moment, as soon as you threw it, what happened? Well, you know, it wasn't like fireworks went off. It wasn't mm -hmm. like a... a major emotional moment like I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. But I turned and I walked back to the apartment and I remember sitting on the couch in my apartment and thinking, you know, I'm going to survive this. And I remember praying. I remember thinking, I remember saying, God, you know, you have a future for me. And at that point, I knew that, you know, at that point I knew it, but here's what I've learned, John that as tough as it was to throw that orange soda away that day, as I went on and I started to grow and learn more about myself and, you know, I've really embraced personal development and leadership and spiritual development through that whole process. And as I began to grow through that, I realized that that was not the only orange soda I had, mm. that, that there were other obstacles in my life that had kept me from being the person I felt like God called me to be. And as now, as I speak to business leaders, you know, one of the things I always share with them, you know, the title of this is what is your orange soda? I think we all have orange sodas. You know, many people go through tragedies, you know, but not every orange soda has to do with a tragedy. You know, I've found orange sodas in my life just wanting to build a new business, you know, just feeling like God's calling you to do something and then going, what's holding me back? You know, what is that obstacle between me and really putting myself out there? You know, so I've dealt with other orange sodas, you know, along the way. And what I realized is I think we all deal with our own orange sodas. There are those things in our life that we as barriers, as obstacles that we face in life that um, we have to, you know, throw away in a sense. You know, we have to get past. So 
as I've gone along, I've realized that um, life is full of those, you know, and that's what I often share with a lot of business leaders, you know, when they say, well, you know, I've had many people come up to me and say, well, wow, you know, what an amazing story. And I've never been through anything like that. So they think, well, what I've been through is not significant. And I go, no, no. Or or they maybe think that, you know what, I haven't been through the death of a loved one. So maybe your story, your concept of an orange soda doesn't really relate to me. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is, it's not true. Absolutely, it's not true. You know, because like I mentioned before, I realized that was one of the many orange sodas I had faced in my life. And some of those orange sodas, you know, they, they appear to be these big, huge events. And often they are, but not always. You know, and I think there's so many people walking through life, people like us, you know, who are high achievers, who are successful people, who feel called to do other things, but something holds them back. You know, there's something deep down that keeps them from doing what God's calling them to do. Well, so those are the we say that, something, you know, it's holding us back. It's our, honestly, I, I got to tell you, for me, the things that have hold me back is fear, mm-hmm. guilt, or shame. Absolutely. Like sometimes to get through an orange soda moment means that I'm going to have to share things with other people that are, I don't want to share. Right. Right. Either about myself or why I did something or why I'm showing up this way. Right. My ego. Right. Wanting to please. I mean, there's so many. We could probably get into some some great details here. But I, I think the I've seen my wife get through some of these issues easier. I don't know if it's a guy thing. Mm-hmm. But for us to sit down, even with one other. Pre- Let me ask you a question during this time when you realize that this orange soda was the obstacle between you and the, uh, you know, being stuck or moving into a new season, right? Did you share that orange soda idea with anybody? No, I did not. So it's all on your list. This is all like you have the awareness, you know, this is what's stopping you. You won't let, let anybody that gets in your car even put their hand near this thing. Right. Because of right. what it represents. And you're not about to tell a friend, I'm stuck. And it's this orange soda because it's the last thing she touched. Absolutely. Never told anyone till years later, John. Mm-hmm. Years later. I mean, I had really good friends in my car. You know, I mean, people that would. would Did have they know not to touch the can? Well, you know, I, I mean, I would just guard it. I never, I never really had to tell them not to grab the can, so to speak, but it was like, I would guard it. I would make sure, you know, so, and here's the thing, John, you know, you may hear this and go, well, why would an orange soda be the thing? Here's what I learned later. It wasn't the orange soda. It was what it represented. You know, it was somehow so much of my grief and pain and fear was caught up in that orange soda. You know what I mean? It was like that became the thing that I knew if I threw that away, that meant I had to move on with my life. Yeah. I knew that if I threw that away, I couldn't stay stuck in the past. I couldn't become a victim. That is huge. I mean, I could not become a victim because too often we go through these terrible things like this And there's that natural tendency for us as human beings to begin to identify as a victim. And I struggled with that. You know, I mean, I was a young guy who had lost his wife and people felt so sorry for me. And it was just like, you know, but it gets to a point where you have to choose not to be a victim. And I think that's what that represented for me. And you bring up a great point, too, about men. I'm glad you brought that up. 
because vulnerability for men is a very, very difficult thing for most men. You know, I've learned over the years, you know, the, those two words, transparency and vulnerability, two very important words, but they're very different. You know, I, I have found that I've often been pretty good at being transparent, meaning I'm pretty good at telling you um, what I dealt with, what happened, but I'm not always as good about telling you where I am. You know, to me, vulnerability is saying this is where I am. Transparency is more saying this is where I was and this is what got me through it, you know. So I think you mentioned how your wife, Donna, dealt with it better than you. I totally agree with that. I think as men, being vulnerable is enormously important. And I feel like I've gotten better at that, but I really feel like that as men, um, it's one of the reasons I love speaking and coaching because you get an opportunity, especially coaching, an opportunity to get down with somebody and really get in a more intimate situation where people are able to be more vulnerable. And that's where you really make progress. Yeah. And I think what creates that though is trust. Honestly, you know, moving through my accident, I had such in a powerful and amazing, it was transformed a trusting relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, Holy Spirit. And then I, because that was so amazing, it was, it was so comforting. I started seeking out and I think God started directing me toward people in my life that I could trust. I know there's people in my life right now. I could tell them anything. Let's say I made the biggest mistake in the world that you, you know, you know, I know there's people in my life right now I could go and talk to and they'd be like, all right, let's pray together. There'd be no judgment. And I, I did not have relationships like that before the accident because I was, I was afraid to go there. And, you know, here's the other thing too. I wasn't the kind of person that you probably could have that level of trusting relationship with because I was still in a place where I would judge where I still had a a shade or an element of a little bit of a victim mentality. And when you're there, I think people know just how you talk about other people, how you talk about situations. They're going to be like, well, I really, I I don't know if I could trust John to really share that. Mm -hmm. I was never a gossiper. I hated gossip, but you know, people would come and share with me things, but you know, I, something's coming to mind. I want to ask you about this because it's something that I, went through, you know, when I was in the military, in my first seven years, my wife and I went to six funerals. Mm. Then, mm. you know, and then, you know, I had some, you know, a business fail, no fault of my own, right? Just wiped out. Right. Right. And then I had my accident. And I knew logically, it says in the Bible, right? In this world, you will have tribulations, but be of right. good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm like, well, I, I sure don't feel very cheery right now. <laughs> And I'll never forget, though, this was after my accident. And financially, we've been wiped out, right? My health was gone. This was two and a half years after my accident. I was at my first conference, and I was listening to uh, Henry Cloud, oh, no, Blackaby, talk about spiritual strongholds. And what he said was one of the biggest barriers between us having a, a deep and true relationship with the Lord is anger, anger of what we've had to go through, our perception of it here on earth. What I realized in that moment is everything I went to, the pain, the surgeries, I had a brain injury. I, I was, dude, I was damaged. 
I mean, I did not know how to have a, any kind of normal conversation with somebody for years because the brain injury, I damaged right. my relationship with my wife and my kids. It was, I was in a bad place. What I knew was I was angry at God. Yep. But God had also saved me at the accident. I was in his presence. People have heard me talk about the love that I felt. And I got to tell you this, uh, I don't know, what's the right word there, right? Not, not dichotomy, right? Like this between these two natures almost for me. Paradoxical almost, yeah. Yeah, like I would not admit to myself I was angry at God. So guess what? That anger manifested making other things in my life and other relationships worse. Right. And when I heard Blackaby talking about this and I was just instantly convicted and I realized, you know what? I've been angry at God and he already knows. Yeah. So yeah. I just like broke down in tears. And then there was a guy that came out, Chuck Bryant, uh, amazing friend of mine. And I shared all this with him. I had to share it with somebody. He, he never judged me. He just sat there and prayed with me. But I got to tell you, when we go through, and, and Dr. James Dobson wrote a book called When God Doesn't Make Sense. It does not make sense. Mm -hmm. you amazing. You're a believer. You're starting your life. And boom, she's gone. Right, right. How did you deal with the human emotions as you also developed, because it was through this that you really connected with your faith. How did those two come together, Brad? Well, interesting story. Um, and, I, and I immediately thought about a quote I wrote down the other day, and I'll share that first. And it says, God can't lead you through the fire if you blame him for the fire. And, mm -hmm. I, and I, that totally resonated me with when I heard that. So here's what happened. Several months after Kim died, and, you know, I mentioned before how God strategically put people in your life. Usually you see that in hindsight, right? Um, about four or five months afterwards, um, at my former high school, I had a cousin who was a senior there, and she got involved in the Students Against Drunk Driving Club. And she invited me to come back to an assembly, and they had a speaker coming. And she said, Brad, I really want you to come back, and I want you to meet this guy. He has a similar story. And I didn't want to see people. I didn't want to go. And I, I blew her off and blew her off. Finally, you know, because I love my cousin, I went back and I went and I met this guy and his name was Bobby Petroselli. And he had a very similar story to mine. And I remember meeting him that day. And I was hoping to kind of sneak into that assembly, listen to what he said and just leave. And I tried to do that. I sat at the back. I walked out. I went straight to my car in the parking lot. And my cousin comes running out and she says, wait, wait. And she says, I want you to introduce you to Bobby. And I'll never forget, Bobby walked up to me. And instead of just shaking my hand, he stopped about two feet in front of me. And he looked me in the eye, John. And he started crying. Huh. And he reaches over to me and he hugs me. And he says, I know you don't understand this now. But Jesus will get you through this. And from that point on, um, we became really good friends and he became a mentor to me. And that's when I first embraced Jesus. You know, before God was like, I wouldn't say a superstition to me, but God was just like, I never, God was really not on my radar. You know, of course, now I was asking those questions. So fast forward here. I mentioned the trial earlier. Fast forward yeah. to about eight or nine months later, Bobby and I become good friends. He would call me very often or come see me when he was in town. He called me up on the phone one day and he said, uh, you know, small talk. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. He said, uh, 
I just wanted to tell you how proud I am of you. I've seen you grow in your faith over this past year. He said, but there's something you need to do. And I was like, okay, yeah, what, you know, whatever you say, man, I'll do it, you know, because yeah. He said, what's your faith based on? I sat there and I didn't answer the question. And I thought, uh, uh, you know, I thought, well, well, love. He's like, no, no. What is your faith based on? And finally, I got it. He said, your faith is based on forgiveness. And he said, you've got someone you need to forgive. And John. Well, that got real. That was a tough moment. Forgive this jack wagon who was unrepentant, who was responsible for the death of your wife. Yes. And here's what he said. And I'll never forget it. He said, look, he said, this guy has taken your wife's life. He said, but if you're not careful, he's going to take two lives. Mm. He said, he's going to take your life too. He said, no, you won't die. He said, but you're going to carry this anger into every relationship you have in the future. He said, one day you're going to be married again. One day you're going to have kids and you're going to have this anger that you're going to have towards them. Then you're not going to understand it. And you're not going to connect it to all those years ago when this happened. He said, you've got a person you need to forgive. And, you know, John, I hung up that phone that day and I realized that for the past eight months before that, a big part of the fuel that I had been living on was anger. Not only anger at him, but like you mentioned, that deep-seated anger at God. You know, God, why did you let this happen? But that was when I first started dealing with it. And I first started praying about it. And it was, it was not a, you know, sometimes I think as Christians, we make forgiveness sound a little too easy. You know, as if, you know, oh, it's a command, just forgive. You know, it's not quite like that. You know, but it was hard work to let go of that anger and pain and realize that, you know, forgiveness was for me you know it was letting go of that anger in me so i can move on with my life so that was a major moment you know and i gotta tell you it's something worth revisiting i was at a retreat with our men's group brad and the guy who was leading and a friend of mine brad hawkins said hey is anybody here have any you know forgiveness right this is so foundational is anybody here have anything they really want to talk about and he looked at me and i'm like no dude i'm actually really good Everybody else kind of goes around. I said, well, you know, there's one guy, if you guys could pray for him, um, because I think my son is dealing with unforgiveness because my son got a classmate pregnant in high school. It's Christian high school here in Colorado, um, up in Arvada, Colorado. And they kicked him out. They expelled him. They Hmm. cut him off. It was horrible. It was harder for him. As a matter of fact, he changed his password to the F word and then the name of the school. Wow. Right. Mm. And I knew how devastating this was. What I realized, cause I didn't even know it. When Brad looked at me and said, have you forgiven that principal who did all this? Cause I went to him and I took good friends with me and we met with the board. We followed everything in Matthew and we, and they, they would not change their entire reason for this rule was punishment, not reconciliation. Right. That makes sense. Right. No, no grace. And dude, I got to tell you, like, I, I, I started looking at all the pain that it caused my son as a father. 
And my anger toward this man who was absolutely would not change his position, they wouldn't even reach out to my son afterwards and at least try to create a relationship so he didn't feel like he was just shunned and shamed from his high school community. Right. And I did not realize the until that moment, because I thought I was pretty squared away. This was just a few months ago, Brad. Right? This is like real time. Wow. I didn't realize how much anger and unforgiveness I had till that moment. I got to tell you, everybody came around me, put their hands on me, and we prayed through it. I was literally sobbing like a baby. I don't think I've ever cried that hard in a long time. And I got to tell you, it felt so good afterwards. And I realized it's a process. And God is there with you. But, you know, I think having some of those folks to ask you some of those questions or digging deep and say, is there somebody in your life? Well, yeah, everybody except that one person. Well, God forgives us at the same level and with the same measure on how we forgive others. Right. So guess right. what? I was limiting my relationship with the Lord and the fullness of his glory by what I was harboring in my heart toward this one person. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up because I, have, I haven't thought about that. I've not shared that story on this podcast. Mm. That was hard. And I, I remember I called my son that night. And we had a great conversation about it. Um, I want to ask you another question because it was when you shared this idea with me, when we first met, I've been, you know, I've been, we've all been through much and I'll guarantee you there's people who, what they would consider through everything that's happened in our world in the last year and a half, being affected by post-traumatic stress. I don't like the D. I don't think it's a disorder. Right. That sounds like some clinical thing that I need to take meds for. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I believe, and I've seen it with our soldiers, right? The most effective treatment for post-traumatic stress is a personal relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you right now, I've seen it over and over and over. Mm -hmm. He is the great healer. But you said, you talked to me about a different concept. Mm -hmm. And I love operating from the place of hope and that tomorrow could be better. And you talked about, John, I want to share with you your idea, your concept of post-traumatic growth, PTG. And not only is that a great way to reframe it, but as you shared with me, it is a real thing that somebody who's gone through adversity and tragedy can embrace. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that because I think it could really help people, Brad. Yeah, thank you, John. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I ran up on this concept just reading uh, several years ago. And it immediately resonated with me. There were two psychologists from the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, uh, Richard Tedeschi and Lawrence Calhoun, who coined this term when they studied it back in the 1990s. And I don't think it ever really caught on. You know, you, so you never really heard a lot about it. But I read about it somewhere and it immediately resonated with me because, you know, we hear so much about post-traumatic stress. You know, obviously we should, but we don't hear anything about the growth that comes from this trauma. And that when they coined that term, I read that term, I was like, you know, as hard as it was to go through what I went through, that's what I embraced. I embraced post-traumatic growth through it all. You know, so I think it's an option for people when people go through things in life. And again, it doesn't have to be something like you and I went through, you know, a major injury like yours or a major tragedy like mine. It can be something that just really, you know, the divorce or the business failure or so many things that can be. But I think it comes to a point in our life there where we right. don't discount the stress that it causes. But what about the growth? 
and there are avenues, there are roads that we can take to grow. And I think that's where my heart is, John. And I know what it is you too. You know, as I go out to speak to people and even to coach people and help people, you go, well, what do you want them to understand? It's like, we all are going to face adversity in life. I mean, read throughout the word that God never promises us that we will face a life free of adversity. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we get into that thinking that we think, well, if I come to know Jesus, then I'll match the easy button. But that's not how life is. And sometimes we expect that, but it's not. <laughs> well, you know, it's the, it's funny because, you know, when, you know, our two and three-year-old kids, I have a three-year-old grandson, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, he calls me Bampa because he couldn't really pronounce grandpa. And he's like, hey, Bampa, <laughs> can I have apple juice? Right? Can I have dinner? Can we go out and play? Right? He, you are, and, and we look at God almost like our spiritual ATM. Yes. This is what I did when I was younger. And I would pray for what I wanted, and even quote that scripture, God gives us the desires of our heart. There's so much there to put all that in context. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's a huge difference though, about really asking God, Hey, what is your will for me? I need this, this, and this. So things can be you know, better and it's okay to pray those. But as my faith matured, my prayers became much more or became centered around this. And that is God reveal your will in what you're doing in the world and what I need to do, how I need to change, how to put things and in, in events in my life in context that have prepared me today to help you in what you're doing. And it was a long time before I, and I still struggle with this, but pulling myself out of that equation. Right. That has what has allowed me to grow through any of these and have what you call that, like that victor mentality versus a victim. A victim mentality means that and this is my take on it, right? We do not assume responsibility for what we do and how we do it. We start blaming my circumstances on everything around me. Right. Right. Could you have done anything different? You probably replayed it in your mind, right? Uh, With the accident. Um, Probably not. Could I have done anything different on the horse that did, right? Could I have done anything different? Maybe, but it happened so fast. Like God, and in, in, in I had to, you know, rectify that God knew it was going to happen. I mean, right? He's omniscient. God was there when it happened, but he didn't prevent it. Right. But I also just felt in my heart he didn't cause it. Mm-hmm. But he knew it was going to happen. Yeah. And right there is where you have to kind of deal with, to me, that place that you're talking about right there. It's an enormously important place in your relationship with God. Yes. And do you know the first thing he said to me, the first thing as he spoke to me was all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And I got to tell you, nothing made sense, Brad. Nothing made sense for the longest time. And I held on to what he said right there to say, okay, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't want to go through this, but I am. I have to. I don't have no choice to move forward. But it's all going to make sense someday. And guess what? It's all working together for good, not for John necessarily, but for what God is doing. Right. And I'd been in his presence. I felt his love. I felt his just awesomeness. And I'm like, well, that's good enough for me. And it was a choice, mm-hmm. just like a choice you made. And I think it's all about how we look at things when we really seek, I think, to understand God's nature. And we also 
seek to understand how God made us versus maybe that person we see in the mirror. You talked about earlier about being that better version of yourself and unlocking things right. that we can be part of. That allows us to go through adversity from that place of, of growth, right? right, or stress. I think that's the differentiator. And I'll tell you this, anybody listening, if you're struggling with this, I know for a fact that when, if you have been under massive stress, and, and Brad's a pharmacist, you, you can weigh in on this. When you've been through massive stress for a very long time and there has been physical, emotional trauma in your life, the chemistry of your brain has changed. It, it makes it harder. You need to be seeing a professional. You need to probably have some, you know, some pharmacology or, or treatment or therapy to allow you to start making the changes to lay the foundation to get to a healthy place so that you can start looking at it differently. Would, would you, what are you, your thoughts on that, Brad? Oh, absolutely, John. You know, I mean, as you were talking, I think about the verse that, you know, we all know that Romans 12 too, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can know God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. That has been probably the one scripture that I continually go back to when it comes to Oh, Christian living, maybe, you know, how to live as a Christ follower through all the ups and downs that renewing our mind is so key. And one of the things that, that I realized early on, I still struggle with this now, is that, you know, what kind of narrative is going on in your mind? You know, we're all having that conversation going on, our thoughts, you know, what kind of, do you have a positive narrative going on in your life? And it's amazing to me how many people and they're good people, they're successful people, but they have a negative narrative. You know, that constant conversation in your mind is negative. I can't do this. This is going to happen. This is kind of more back to that victim mentality, but purposely, intentionally choosing to have a positive narrative in your life is so key. And I think that's, that's connected to renewing your mind, you know, filling your life up with who God says you are not who you think you are or somebody else thinks you are. Um, so I think that's key. I think, I think the mind is the, um, the mind is key, John, you know, with us living, you know, I think as believers, our hearts have been changed. We have to believe that in order to live that we have to renew our minds continuously. And that goes back for me, at least to, you know, when I, when I start feeling down and start struggling, I immediately question what kind of narrative do I have? You know, what am I thinking about Brad? Right. You know, what am I thinking about me? Am I going through that phase where I'm going, Oh, this is so difficult because this, you mentioned it this past year with all the things that have been going on have been extremely difficult in leadership. I mean, for everyone, for everyone, but leadership has been really, really tough. And I think there's a huge buildup with this. I think now, even as we feel like we're seeing some light at the end of this tunnel, there's this buildup that's come along with us this whole year in leadership. And I think there are a lot of leaders that are really struggling right now, you know, and again, and back to what you said about, you know, about men, you know, and about being vulnerable. Often men don't share that, especially this whole kind of build up that slowly builds up in you. You know, men don't share that. We're not vulnerable about that. And you need places in your life, people in your life where you can be honest and share that with them and be real. This is what I'm feeling today about being a leader. And it might not be very good, <laughs> you know, but when you have, when you get that out and you put it on the table with people who are non-judgmental and don't judge you, that's how you move past it. 
you know, so that's, that's, that's so key. And I love what you said about, you know, getting to that point in your life where you hook up with what, where you say, God, I want to, I want to hook up with what you're doing. I want to be part of what you're doing. It's not just about me, you know, and I think so often we can go down those paths as it's about me, even well-meaning. It's about me. It's about the business I want to build. It's about the things I want to do to impact other people, which is great. But what is God doing and how can we get hooked up with that? And that's a, it seems like a really minor shift, doesn't it, John? But that's a huge shift in how we see life. Oh, it was huge. I was, we are, our group, we were doing the Bible study, Experiencing God, right by Blackaby. When he talks about that concept. And for me, it was like things clicked into place. So but with that, uh, so it's Brad Hurdle, and it's your website is Brad Hurdle, H-U-R-D-L-E, bradhurdle.com. Mm-hmm. Is there any other way people can connect with you, follow up with you? Um, I'm on the social media channels, Facebook. LinkedIn is something I need to pay more attention to, so I'm going to start doing that better. Um, but LinkedIn, either one of those would be good. Or website, you can email me through my website. I'd love to connect with people. I love helping people kind of walk through adversity and kind of live that life God's calling them to live. Yeah, and, and you know what? Uh, you're doing such great work. So if anybody wants to connect with Brad, bradhurdle.com. Brad, thank you for coming on. I know it's a it's a difficult story. I think it's so important um, that you're out there sharing it. And uh, just like Bobby did for you, uh, back in the day, right? You are now doing that for other people. And, you know, that's part of the context we get with time sometimes is actually seeing, you know, if Bobby hadn't gone through his tragedy and and spent that time with you and, and you got to hear his story and he looked you in the eye, you don't know maybe what path that would have put you on. So, you know, we don't always want to go through things, but realizing that everything is equipping and preparing us, right? All things, all means all. That's all, all means. I mean, it's kind of a blanket term, but thank you, dude. It's been an absolute joy getting to know you. I can't wait to meet your wife. She's amazing. Just everybody, I got to tell you what a powerful couple. Every time we've talked and Brad shares about his wife, Ginger, who he met after all this happened, right? It's just been right. What what a team you guys are. So one of these days we'll come out and meet you in person out there so love anyway, it. love you, buddy. You're awesome. Love you too, man. I'm alive, brother. All right. Thanks, John. Enjoyed it, man. Take okay. care. Love you, brother. Yeah.